0: All right, if you'll take your Bibles and meet me in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. As you're going there, I was reading a book today that is written by H.A. Ironside. Has anyone heard of H.A. Ironside? Fantastic. He is really something. Um, he wrote a book back in 1937. Louis, do you remember? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding, Louis. I'm sorry. Uh, but it's, uh, it's interesting because the title of the book is called Full Assurance and it's about 10 chapters. It's kind of a booklet, um, but it was really good and I was reading it today because it was something I had borrowed from the college library and as I read it, I was, I was struck by the simplicity that is here in, in this writing and how far we have come since 1937 to now 2000. 24, how far we have gone away from simple truth and we have just fully dived into intellectual, scholarly opinion on the Word. Um, I think if someone were to produce something like this today, it would be equivalent to one of the most moving sermons ever uh, spoken, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, that was not delivered with any power or authority save for the Scripture itself. It caused an entire nation's um, revival. Uh, you can go look that up. It's it's a great study. But I think a message like just this second chapter of this book would shake the world today because people do not know where they're going when they die. And they know they're going to die. I don't know how many people we've prayed for in the time that I've been the pastor here who have had cancer diagnosis and have been faced with the very real threat of their life coming to an end. I'm sure all of us have been touched by um, death in our families. We have seen people die suddenly. I think of Grace's co-worker. What a, what a hard thing for the family right now. People are thinking what happens when I die? And they're looking for answers and they're finding wrong answers. People are, are, are using artificial intelligence to have religious conversations, to ask can you paint me an image of God? Can you paint me an image of Heaven? And artificial intelligence will gladly meet that request. But, you know, in the name, it's just artificial intelligence. It's it's not real wisdom from God. And what really struck me about this chapter is a statement that is made uh, about the resurrection of Christ. And before we get into our study on restoring a fallen brethren, I want to read this to you very quickly because I think it's profound and it's a profound reminder. I did a podcast a long time ago answering somebody's question, must I know the date that I trusted Christ to know that I'm saved? I know the significance of that feeling because that was a part of my experience a little bit. I was always challenged and uh, encouraged to don't forget the date. How could you forget the date that you're born again or maybe you weren't ever really born again? What horrible logic to go by. But I found as I've gone through ministry that many people are trying to look back to a time when they believed They're trying to look back to a time when they, in their mind, came from unbelief in Jesus as the Son of God who shed His blood to pay for their sins to belief. And while that may be beneficial that you remember a day that you came from unbelief to belief, there's something greater, there's something far greater that we can put our hope in, and it's the resurrection. This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 and 3, where it says, unless you have believed in vain. This is what this is talking about. The Corinthian believers were moving from belief in the resurrection to now denying it. Their salvation was no longer, it's not in jeopardy because everything has been paid for. But the efficiency of their Christian life, their ability to win other people to Christ, would be zero, useless, if they were to deny that Jesus rose from the dead. Paul goes on to say in that chapter, we would be of men most miserable. And so instead of trying to look back on a day, when, when did I believe, when did I, all these different things look to the empty tomb. That's our assurance. I'm going to read this to you because uh, this is is just uh, very good. Christ's bodily resurrection is the divine token that all has been dealt with to God's satisfaction. Jesus bore our sins on the cross. He made himself responsible for them. He died to put them away forever, but God raised him from the dead, thereby attesting his good pleasure in the work of his Son." Now the blessed Lord sits exalted at the right hand of the majesty in the heavens. He could not be there if our sins were still upon him. The fact that he is there proves that they are completely put away. God is satisfied. A quote from a poem. Payment he will not twice demand. First at my bleeding surety's hand and then again at mine. It is this that gives quietness and assurance forever. Uh, Ironside speaks of himself. When I know that my sins have been dealt with in such a way that God's righteousness remains untarnished, even as he folds me to his bosom, a justified believer, I have perfect peace. I know him now as a just God and a savior. Isaiah 45:21. He says, "I will bring near my righteousness; it shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry." Isaiah 46:13. What cheering words are these? He has provided a righteousness, his very own, for men who have gone off on their own. Gladly, therefore, do I spurn all attempts at self-righteousness to be found in him, perfect and complete, clothed with righteousness. Amen? That's like, not, you don't, you're not going to read that today. You will not see that in YouTube videos. You will not see that in, you know, Our Daily Bread. Some of you have asked, where is the Our Daily Bread? They have very, very clearly moved away from believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That was years ago. So we started using Institute for Creation Research. I don't remember the name of what they the publication that they had. But all of a sudden, they had a change in ownership who was um, in charge of writing the devotional things, and they started attacking faith alone and Christ alone. They called it easy believism, they called it cheap grace. And they said, surely you can't just trust in Jesus Christ and then not expect to bear fruit in order to prove that you're really saved. That's putting works on the back end. You're saying, Jesus, yes, plus my good works. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Something as simple as what Ironside has written here is gone in our Christian culture today. It's a lot of introspective analysis. You look into yourself, and now you have the introduction of mental health, which is very real. I'm not denying that at all. But I am, I am here to say that, that a lot of people's needs are spiritual. There are some physical things that manifest as a result of a spiritual issue. And I think people need more Jesus and less pharmacy. I think people need more Jesus and less activities, uh, social things, hobbies, you know, all this other stuff. We need Jesus, amen? We are separated from God made in His image but now we're separated from Him. People need the Lord. And that's gone in our culture today. Well, you need better friends. You need better hobbies. You need more sunshine. How about the one who created the sunshine? Amen? (laughs) I'll take him, you know? But I think it's an encouragement that there's still things like this out there. And we have some plans with this chapter with Bible Line. We want to kind of dramatize this chapter and use it as a way to bring in unchurched people. People who are not looking for Jesus per se, but they're looking for the truth. They want to find something. They know that there's something out there, but they they don't have any assurance of the way that they were raised that they have eternal life. I wanted to read that one part to you because I thought it was so well written. But we're in Galatians chapter 6 tonight, and it's a quick study talking about um, restoring fallen brethren. There is such a thing as a carnal Christian. Uh, I pray that you are not one of those. But there is a difference between uh, a born-again believer who's growing and someone who's a carnal Christian. They're both going to heaven. They both have a resurrection body waiting. They both have an appointment at the judgment seat of Christ. But how they will be used by God greatly differs here on earth and how they will serve the Lord in the kingdom. But they're both still saved. But there's a responsibility of the growing believer as he matures to help his fallen brother. This is best illustrated in 1 Corinthians when Paul is talking about those who are offended by Christians who would would eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. Paul makes the statement, we know that there's no other God but God and that this meat is just meat. But for a weaker brother, we want to make sure that we don't do something that would be a stumbling block in front of them as they grow. And that's not the point of my study tonight. The point of my study is for a believer who has fallen into, I'll say, willful sin, although all sin is willful, But to someone who stays in their behavior does not uh, come to the terms that what God says about this is wrong and I need to make a change, meaning get in line with what God says is correct. That's what the word confession means, to come to an agreement. This is for the believer who does not want to confess his sin, does not want to stop the things that he's doing, and he's in a fallen state. How do we who are mature reach that brother? Well there is, a, there, there, there is a function of church discipline and we see that in 1 Corinthians when Paul says the man who's caught up in sexual immorality with uh, his mother-in-law, he says if he's not willing to change, cut him off from the church, deliver his body unto Satan so that his spirit can be saved. That's strong language. But what that means is it is better for that man to experience separation from fellowship and ultimately if he does not uh, change his ways to be done here on the earth, and go home early. First John 5 talks about this. James talks about this as well. But I believe in 2 Corinthians, we see that man restored. There's, still an, there, there's always a way back into fellowship in those drastic situations, and it's predicated off of Galatians 6. Let's take a look here. Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness considering thyself lest thou also be tempted i will forever have the picture in my mind of myself reluctantly obeying my parents and i'll tell you why i have that image in my mind there is a difference between doing something correctly and doing something correctly with the right attitude amen one of those, you get the job done, but you're no fun to be around. You're not encouraging anybody else to work with joy or serve with joy. You're just doing it because somebody told you, and your, your feet are so heavy, you're stomping around, your shoulders are, are hunched so far back, you'd think you're ringing a bell in Notre Dame. And people would think, this guy has no joy in what he's doing, what? but he's, he's doing things. I think this is the definition of how I used to take instruction as a kid. If I didn't want to do something, I very plainly made it known that I did not want to do it. I was stubborn. I did get it done, but I robbed myself of joy and and surely took more hair off the top of my dad's head than needed to be at that time. But I remember very specifically there was a time when I started to realize, boy, if I just do things and I'm happy with the result that I'm able to do them, now they're not a burden, they're not a chore. Why do I give you that illustration? Look at how we're supposed to restore the fallen brother. Look at the spirit in which we are supposed to possess, our correction methods. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. There are two definitions for meekness that I learned in college from Bob Brooks. And any of you who know Bob Brooks, I think he is meekness typified. I mean, the guy is, he's soft-spoken and he's very kind. But when he needs to correct you, he very clearly corrects you, but he doesn't do it out of an attitude of self-righteousness or anger. He chooses to be meek. And he gave these two definitions. He said meekness is strength held in reserve. He said you can imagine it as throwing velvet-covered bricks. And you may think, what in the world is that? Don't go get bricks and cover them in velvet and see if you can attain meekness. That's That's not the point. The illustration is the brick has weight and power, and it can do damage if it's thrown, but the fact that it is padded with something that is acceptable and soft, it doesn't take away from the significance of the weight, but it eliminates trying to hurt the one who receives it. If we go into the uh, situation of a sinning brother, and we come with a chainsaw ready to cut them out from the body of Christ, Looking at them as somebody who should be removed from the fellowship and not given an opportunity to be faced with the reality that what they're doing is, is damaging, we're automatically just writing them off. That is the exact response we will get. We are coming in foretelling what the response is going to be. If you come in with hotness and aggressiveness and anger and self righteousness and elevating yourself, how else is somebody going to respond to that? It's a natural attack. They will go on the defense. But if you, as the brother who is not overtaken in the fault, go to that brother and you say, listen, I love you. You have incredible value. But there are things that you're doing that are causing damage to yourself and to the ministry. How can I help you get right with the Lord? That is an immediate position of a servant. And it's it's lost in a lot of conservative churches today. I kind of cringe when I hear old, 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 and I'm talking like old-timey messages where people make the pastor the end-all, be-all of who we're accountable to. That is not how that's supposed to... You are not only accountable to me. We're accountable to the Lord. And if there's something that you're doing that needs to be addressed... It is not my job to bring the weight of my office down on you. We should not have a culture in this ministry that would make people afraid to hear the pastor wants to see you. Because what does that imply? Oh, you're in trouble. You know, we see Armando walking to the pastor's office. Wow, it's the second time this month. God bless you, Armando, you know. (laughs) That's not how it's supposed to be. I wouldn't even, we, we shouldn't even have to worry about making appointments or things like that. It should be automatic within the body. But there's also something else there. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. <laughs> this also speaks to the fact that any one of us can fall. Any one of us, if we are, if we start to do this game, oh, I'm a little better than so-and-so. Ah, uh, you know, I, I, I was at the men's breakfast and I put away the tables, but without it being asked. I'm somebody. Oh, yeah, I, I, I helped, you know, when, when the communion cups were done. I helped. You know, oh, that's, you know, and then you start looking down on those in judgment. You know what that makes you a, a victim of? The devil. And he's going to come and get you. And you want to know what it is? You say, Am I going to run out on my marriage? No, probably not. But you'll have the sin of pride. And that's the equivalent of any other horrible sin. Pride creeps in and you start to get all puffed up. Knowledge puffeth up. Number two here, or verse two here says, bear ye one another's burdens. This involves communication. This is why I love Wednesday nights. We just spent quite a bit of time tonight in prayer. And I don't mind that. I don't mind that we lift up people's prayers because that is bearing one another's burdens. And when, when, when we dismiss here in 10 or 15 minutes, I love the fact that recently, I've noticed this, I pay attention to it, you guys stay around longer. Especially Sunday nights, with the Juana getting out about 15 minutes after the service, there's people hanging around here all the time. And Wednesday nights too. And you guys are talking with each other. We're exchanging how things have been going, and, and prayer requests that have been made known beforehand, are being discussed and there's encouragement with one another. That keeps you sensitive and it keeps you in good fellowship so that if one of us steps out, if one of us starts to fall into a sin and things are not going well and we need to be addressed, there's a natural foundation of communication there. I hope you feel that kind of unity that we have here. It's very unique, very unique. I'm glad that we don't have a problem. We just did this with the deacons on Sunday night we we went over all the things that are in the church constitution about the responsibilities of the deacons. And one of the things that was in there was to make sure that there's no cliques in the church. I am so glad we don't have that problem. Anybody can sit with anybody. and There's there's not a a separate group that kind of does their own thing and everyone's like, oh I hope one day I get invited to the group. You want to be a part of the group? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in the body of Christ, you're in. And we follow the Lord's instruction. Amen? But as we bear one, another, one another's burdens, we actually fulfill something here and so fulfill the law of Christ, which I believe is demonstrated in the Scripture as love one another. That is so overlooked. The emphasis and importance on love, it's a selfless act of commitment. Unconditional. You fulfill that law and it also shows you too that as a believer, we have responsibilities to fulfill that law. This is why I'm, I'm against any kind of lone ranger Christianity. I'm going to go do it myself. Why? Why? And you come to find out that people really don't want to change who they are. They think that what they've been given is some type of a defect from God. Well, God made me this way. No, he didn't make you this way. This is a product of your sinful nature. You need to get right and walk in the new nature. Verse three: For if a man think himself to be something, I really like that phrase. Oh, you think you're somebody? I think I'm somebody, right? If a man think himself to be somebody when he is nothing, now this does not mean that believers do not have value, or that you have to have some sort of pious religio- uh, you know, religiousness. Like, oh, I'm some nobody. You have immense value in the body of Christ you can choose to be a vessel of honor. But we have to remember that outside of Christ, we're nothing. That's very clear in John 15. Abide in me, and I in you, and, and, and you and me. Without me, you can do nothing. That's pretty clear. So if we start to think, oh, I'm really somebody, and we leave the fact that we're born again in the body of Christ out there, we're falling into temptation immediately. For if a man think himself to be something, I would imply that's outside of Christ. When he is nothing, what does it say? He deceiveth himself. Ooh, no one likes to be deceived. Kind of feel that way with with uh, with James in this house thing. It seems like there's no intentional deception, but it seems like you ready to close. You know, it's like this. There's like a blanket covering the hand. All you have to do is remove the blanket. Oh, you got you got it. You ready? Gotcha we got to do one more thing. And there are people who do intentionally deceive. I think of the the young lady who's with us here tonight in business, seeing how horrible business can be sometimes, how incorrect the industry is. There's a lot of businesses that are profitable on being deceptive. It's a natural byproduct of man's pride. Why would we want to do that to ourselves? Well, you'd say, I don't want to. Well, you stay humble then. You stay humble, rooted in the body of Christ. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. Verse 4 is basically saying, You do what you're supposed to do. If you're living a good separated life, you're walking with the Lord, you're in good fellowship, you're sensitive to sin, you're out there, you are sensitive to the fact that people need the Lord, you're given the gospel, you're 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 a person, a prayer, all these different things. When you go to a brother and you have to say, there's some things you need to correct, you're taken care of. The moat is out of your eye, and now you're looking at your brother and you're saying, how can I help you? But if you come in and you're doing all those things, but you have pride, you're deceiving yourself. You're not spiritually mature. You're actually in need of correction, and now you're going to go to your brother and you're going to be very Pharisaical by saying, how dare you, or you don't know, you got to do it like me. And this is how legalism is bred. And it just runs rampant. For every man shall bear his own burden. If we have the house taken care of, then we can go outside and help others. But if we're trying to, you know, nitpick at everybody else, and then in our spiritual life there's a ton of stuff that's wrong, you need to check that. Jesus gives this illustration in Matthew when he's talking on the Sermon on the Mount and he talks about a man who comes into the temple and everything is taken care of. He has the proper sacrifice. He's paid for it, but he has anger with his brother. Jesus says to leave that sacrifice, which took time and money to acquire, leave it and go back to your brother. Get right with him before you come into the temple to offer a sacrifice. What does this mean? It's more than the physicality. It's more than actually just being here, saying saying and doing the right things. How's your heart? How's the condition of your mind? How do you perceive things? When you pat a brother on the back, are you doing so to deceive him and thinking you're for him when you're really looking for a place to do your damage when the time comes? Those types of things, saying one thing... And, and thinking another, is the definition of James chapter 1, an unstable man. How many of us lack wisdom? If your hand's not up, I'll just count it as up because you just don't know it, which would mean you lack wisdom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? James 1 says, if we lack wisdom, we can ask that wisdom to come from the Lord who, who gives liberally, but the man who's double-minded, he's unstable, let not that man think he gets anything from the Lord. What does that mean? The person who goes to the Lord in action and says, Lord, I need this, but internally their their inward mind is, I don't think, I I doubt that he can do it. You're not going to get anything from the Lord. This is why I think the scripture describes faith as childlike. My daughter, if she was in the arms of somebody else and she saw me, I've seen it before, she will wiggle and move at the risk of falling out of that person's hands she trusts dad to get her and i'll be there i'll get her but she has faith that that's my dad i want him to hold me i'll do whatever it takes to get to him and she trusts that i'll get her i think that's the kind of faith that we need to have in the lord prayer request tonight you know when i'm praying i'm expecting you to pray I have decided with my prayer life, it's very one-dimensional in this way. I pray for the Lord's will to be done, and that I be given the strength to do what He asks me to do. That doesn't mean there's no other flavor or spice in my prayer life. But as things happen to me, I ask that it's revealed to me clearly if this is God's will. And if it is, and I don't feel comfortable with it, I'm asking Him to give me strength. And then that's it, folks. I put that in the Lord's hands. I had to learn how to do that. You want to talk about anxiety, worry that defined me for a long time, and to an extent, I still fall into that. How many of you do that worry casting, where you think, you know, you think, oh my goodness, if this happens, then this could happen, and if that happens, surely this would happen, and then the next thing you know, you're not, you're just sitting in the chair looking at the ceiling, and you're, you're, you're spiraling. You're thinking of all the things that could happen on a one thing that never happened yet. <laughs> it's like That's the definition of an unstable person. I'm not saying you're mentally unstable. Don't take me wrong on that. What I'm saying is, let go and trust that the Lord will meet your need. If we have this attitude that, well, I'm just going to ask for God to give me whatever He needs to give me, and then the expectation would be that He'll give it, and when that doesn't happen well, then I guess he's not really who he claimed to be. That's an unstable man. That's asking God to meet a need and then expecting him to fall through and bail. That, that, that's a major problem. All right, let's close our Bibles. That's it for our study. Let me share with you the most important news in all the world. I'm going to let this hand represent you and me, and I'll let this block of sin represent exactly what it says it is, sin. I put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. God, he loves us, but he hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. In order to get to heaven, you have to be absolutely perfect. And this is what people are starting to realize. They know, especially with the advent and the crazy things of what's allowed online and all that kind of stuff today, people know, I'm not perfect, I have sin. But they don't know how they can get this sin paid. And so a lot of people think, well, if I go to church, if I read my Bible, pray, study, all, you know, be a good person. Surely God will take care of this, and there won't be any issue. You know, it's good. I have bad. Good fights bad. That's what all the movies tell me. That's what our culture says. You know, do right. There was that huge ad that went on in the Super Bowl. I didn't see it because I didn't watch most of the Super Bowl. But it was that he gets us ad about Jesus, and it was totally theologically incorrect. But it's it's the world's interpretation of well, this kind of behavior is good. This is righteous. You know. You have to be without any of this to get to heaven. This separates you from God. We need someone to pay for this, folks. This condemns us. And it's not by turning, starting something, stopping something. We need a Savior. This hand represents Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, fully God and fully man. And what Jesus did out of his love for the Father and his love for us is he went down or he went up to Calvary, he took that sin upon himself. He paid for it. He was buried and he rose again three days later. And all of those who simply put their trust in Jesus Christ, that's it. Call it easy believism. Call it cheap grace. But what it really is, is it's the power of God unto eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever anybody believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You as a sinner, if you Come to the Lord and you, you have faith that Jesus, the Son of God, His shed blood at Calvary, His burial and resurrection, paid for this sin. God gives you immediately justification. He gives you the righteousness of His Son. You're, you're eternally secured. That's the kind of life that you get. It's eternal life. So if it's eternal, how long does it last? It lasts forever. So you're done. That doesn't mean you should go and live in this. Why would we live in this in which has been paid? Why would we not choose to live in our brand new nature? We're born again now. So many people don't understand that that change. They think they're going to take their good works and offer it as a payment for sin. Jesus Christ died on the cross not to set an example for what we must do to attain eternal life, but to do what we could not do. He paid the price that we would never be able to pay. And so the offering and invitation is open to all, whosoever will. You can come and drink freely. (coughs) Excuse me. So you just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you receive the free gift of everlasting life. That's the ultimate way that we can restore fallen brethren with that attitude in mind. Remembering all that has been forgiven of us and we have humility, we go to our brother and try to restore. Amen? Let's go to the Lord, shall we? Would you... Pray with me for a moment. Heads are about nines are closed. Nobody's looking around. If you're here tonight and that, the last part of the message made sense, you say, you know what? I walked in here today and I thought I had to be somebody good, do good, you know, and, and, and avoid certain things. And that'll get me to heaven. Uh, but I, I understand now that I could never be good enough to get to heaven because I'd have to be perfect. So I, 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 I'm changing my mind tonight. I'm putting my trust in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross to pay for my sin. That his blood was shed to make that payment. And I know I'm going to heaven now because Jesus has risen again from the dead, which means all my sin is paid. If that's you tonight, I'd love to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up and let me know? Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that it made sense tonight and you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you now know you're going to heaven. Anyone at all before we close? Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. We are in the infancy, kind of, of the leadership here in the church. No doubt as we grow, we are all going to go through difficult times. I'm praying for you that you stay close to the Lord. I'm praying that you stay humble, sweet, kind. But if there comes a time where you you, you find yourself falling into sin, Or you see someone around you falling into sin. Would you remember the goodness that has been shown to you in the Savior as you approach them with their issue? Would you approach them in the spirit of meekness, seeking to restore and not destroy? I pray should that time come, and folks, it will. It will come, but I pray when it does that you'll be ready. Father, thank you for the time that we have tonight. I ask that you bless all the ministries here at the church, and we're just thankful people tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.